You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. If solving mysteries is your cup of tea, take a stab at Dispatch, an interactive serial story that's delivered directly to your door. The story has been testing my detective skills with a new set of clues each month. Clippings, mysterious objects, and hidden websites, all leading me and you, Kevin, through a mind-bending ride. Loving it! Each tale unfolds over several deliveries with helpful clues in every box to uncover the truth. And for Crime Writers On listeners, you can save 50% on your first box by going to breakoutdispatch.com slash crime and using the code CRIME at checkout. That's breakoutdispatch.com slash crime and use the code CRIME at checkout. If you're like me, your favorite part of going to the mall is stopping by Mrs. Fields. This holiday season, you can give your friends and family that same feeling of pure joy with a holiday gift arrangement from Mrs. Fields. Mrs. Fields cookies have been around for 40 years. Everyone knows and loves them. I bought a tin for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. I've already eaten some. Oh, nice. I'm not surprised. Yeah, they're soft and chocolatey, and Mrs. Fields cookies are freshly baked and ready to enjoy right now out of the box so everyone can have what they've always wanted right now. Go to MrsFields.com. That's MRSFields.com. Click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner and enter code CRIME to get... 25% off Mrs. Fields' best-selling Peace, Love, and Cookies tin. You get Nibbler's bite-sized cookies, brownie bites, and more. So click on the microphone and enter promo code CRIME Crime. at MrsFields.com to get the perfect holiday gift for 25% off MrsFields.com. Guys, you know what this is? What's that? Our 100th episode. Oh, my God. What? Totally forgot about oh that. Goodness. Insert the sound effects here of, of nope, noisemakers. not doing that. No? Is, there, is confetti? Nothing? Mm, squat. I, I'm not hearing that now? Squat. Wow. That's really, that's kind of disappointing. You know what? 100 wow. episodes. I know. Guys, I told Rebecca, you know, why don't you surprise everybody with that clip show that you said you weren't going to do, nope. but you were actually going to do. Go ahead, play it. It's a lot of work. I'm not the, doing that. The, you're... <laughs> This is just build up, right? Get play the clip show. Not, we're actually having a real show. Really? Yep. You didn't do the clip. Well, nope. What were you doing all weekend? I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, an accused murderer went to a baseball game at the time of the crime. The documentary Longshot recalls how a sitcom kept an innocent man off of death row. Also, a look back at the crimes and times of one of America's most infamous killers, Charles Manson. We'll also give you some suggestions for things to read, watch, or listen to as you go over the river and through the woods to your horrible relative's house for Thanksgiving. All right, joining me to get all that done and a whole lot more is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, and my Thanksgiving dinner date, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hey, those horrible relatives are mine. (laughs) 
<laughs> they are this year, right? <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and passive aggressive backseat Monday morning <laughs> driver, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. That's me. Hello. And finally, the panelist least likely to pardon a turkey, the brilliant novelist behind the City Trilogy and co-host of the Radio Free Dystopia podcast, Toby Ball. Good evening, Toby. Hi, Rebecca. Now, Toby, one of the interesting things about you is that we use a connection service for this podcast, which requires you both to log in to a browser, and you get to log in using a name, any kind of name you want, and you always pick like a very like news-centric name. This week, you're Papadopoulos, for for instance. You tend to choose just like an interesting like alter ego. I'm curious to know, like, do you have a process for choosing your name, or is it just spontaneous? The box pops up, and you just type something in. Uh, I try to keep it topical, because mm-hmm. I know that you've come to expect that from me. That's true. Um, but it's more or less, I don't spend, you know, more than 15 or 20 minutes researching. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Laura? You also log in with a nickname tonight. You are, what does that say, Kevin? Uh, CCL, CCL, a.k.a. AKA what is CCL? Crazy Cat Lady. Is that what that stands for? Crazy Cat Lady. Mm. Yes, that is me. And is there a reason, Laura Bricker, in particular, why you are calling yourself a crazy cat lady this week? Because you always call her that. (laughs) Lots of people call me that. Somebody at our live event came up to me and said, I was expecting you to have more cat hair on you in person. (laughs) I was like, no, no, I don't. Yeah, so so the hunt is over, people. My stocking paid off. Um, These two little um, stray brother cats that I've been stalking at our local shelter, um, they had come in like almost three weeks ago, and I just happened to be there. But they were looking like they were stoned or something, like something was not right when I first saw them. So they were in like the kitty isolation for 10 days. They called me last Wednesday, said they're coming out. You have 24 hours to get here. Well, you know, I was there like before they opened. Um, (laughs) She was there 45 seconds later. Yeah, I was like, yeah, hi, I'm here. Um, And they're like, well, do you want to like consider? I said, no, I want them. So yes, now we are the proud new owners of two orange cats Mm -hmm. who are out of their mind. Yeah, Um, they're crazy. Every morning, the tablecloth is off of the table. Things are crashing down in the middle of the night. Mm. Um, but they are very friendly kitties. And so everybody, except for Zelda, everybody in the house is happy. What are their names, Laura Bricker? Well, they came with the names Jack and Rocky. Um, my son is the namer of animals. They are now Felix and Rocky. Mm, okay. They particularly love my husband, mm. um, which is interesting. So he is now a convert. Um, they both fell asleep on him the other night when he was sleeping during football. I'm a little bit disappointed that you didn't go with Kevin and Toby. But I know it wasn't up to you. <laughs> or Jonathan and Drew. I did I did <laughs> suggest Toby. I said I said actually Toby's a really good cat name and I, I, I lobbied for that and everyone's like, no. And I'm like, come on, here Toby. And they're like, no. Hmm. So sorry, Tobes. <laughs> haters. They are haters. Haters gonna hate. Well, speaking of names, Kevin, um last week. We had the announcement that our studio naming rights were once again up for grabs, yep. and um, a bunch of people tried to pounce on that, and we had a first-come, first-served winner for the studio naming rights. So do you want to tell us about that? Yes. So uh, instead of going by Square Egg Studio, the new name for Studio C, or I guess it's permanently known as formerly Studio C, mm-hmm. is the Podcasting Hall of Justice. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So this uh, th- th- this sponsor had some sci fi related stuff, some Harry Potter related stuff. So this was uh, the one that we uh, we agreed on. It's uh, you know Hall of Justice. I guess Hall that makes me Batman, and uh, 
Rebecca Cyborg. Hmm. Come on, we're just the Wonder Twins. Let's be honest. Oh my goodness, we are so the Wonder Twins. You're going to be like an ice ladder. Do this thing where you put your hand, finger, let's fist it together. Form of a monkey. Shape of an ice weed whacker. (laughs) It was always had to be made out of ice. Yes. Hold on, I'm writing it down. I'm writing down the podcasting hall of justice. Is the podcast hall of justice or the podcasting hall of justice? The podcast hall of justice. I'm writing it down so I can say it right in the end of the show. All right, we uh, we don't want to get this wrong. Hey, I have another funny anecdote that I forgot to tell you guys. What is it? You'll appreciate this about Fireman Ken and the cats. You know, for the first 24 hours, it was like I was on cat duty all the time. I was texting him pictures. I was calling him. Oh, my God, they did something funny. And he was getting really annoyed. And then he came (laughs) home. I wonder why. No, wait, wait. When you hear why, you're going to die. He's like, listen. He finally answers. He goes, I can't talk right now. I'm at a building fire and people are jumping out of windows. I cannot hear about Ooh. the cats anymore. <laughs> My goodness. I was I was banned from talking about them for a little while, so I, I just had to get that out. <laughs> Lives were at stake and Laura Bricker's like, Ken, you're not going to believe what little Toby and Kevin did. They followed the little laser all around. <laughs> they pulled the tablecloth off the table again. <laughs> they jumped on the Christmas tree and t- you know they are going to jump on your Christmas tree and take the whole thing down, right? Yeah. That's definitely um, that's why happen. we have a thing t- in the wall where we tie it up. Okay. So, oh. yeah. Wow. Meantime, people are tying sheets together <laughs> to get out of and a rappelling down the side of the well, building. Yeah. And and then I see the report on the news of this fire, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm such an ass. Yeah. <laughs> we we fire. should say, you know, but Kent does not need to answer the phone. No, I mean well, you do have caller ID. Texting oh, him. <laughs> we we should note that Laura's husband Ken is actually a hero. We sit in a closet and just talk. He yeah. saves lives. <laughs> yeah, but is he really a cat person? <laughs> well, it was suggested this week after his performance that the next time they had a cat in the tree, he could just go lay down under the tree and the cats would just jump on him because yeah. that's what they've been doing at our house. So. Apparently, he's re- oh wow, wow. Well, um, about those lives he saved. Yeah. <laughs> All they right. did. Nobody died jumping out the window. So it's that true. Was it's true. Well, Kevin, um, I we have one of these this week, so I need you to uh, read this for me. True crime update. Wow, that was a really cheerful way to go into a conversation about Charles Manson. Nice job, Kevin. What's you going to say? My my voice is all back. Now. My <laughs> My break is up high again. So, right. Yeah. And now let's talk about a psycho serial killer, shall we? Hey, that's what you call a patented crime writers on Segway. <laughs> well, this week, one of the world's most infamous criminals died in prison. Charles Manson orchestrated a series of spree killings by his cult-like followers, which gripped Los Angeles in the late 1960s. His wild persona, both in and out of prison, made Manson the subject of fear and macabre fascination for decades. This includes podcasts like Hollywood and Crime's Young Charlie, Charles Manson's Hollywood, and an entire season of You Must Remember This dedicated to Manson. So I just want to say as a caveat, as as a prelude, For me, I don't know if you guys feel this way. Charles Manson has always been an imprisoned maniac. Like, I have only been alive in the Charles Manson in prison years. Like, Mm -hmm. that's that's true for Mm -hmm. all of us, right? Yeah. When did he go to prison? Very early 70s. It was like 71, 72, I think was the trial. Wow. I was well out of diapers (laughs) at that point. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, I don't know how much you guys know about this case, but um, as far as I, like, in, in my whole life, Charles Manson has been, like, the bad guy, Boogeyman, uh, the guy who, when they do in-prison interviews with, says he doesn't regret anything and would kill again, like, the minute he got out and had a swastika carved in his forehead and some super weird cult people who still showed up at all of his uh, parole hearings. Kevin, your, like, impressions of Charles Manson throughout your life similar, or you do you have oh, deeper yeah. insight than me? No, no, I mean, he just seemed to be the... The a prototypical psycho killer, right? I mean, he's just had, he was crazy eyes before that actress in Orange is the New Black was crazy eyes. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, he, he uh, really sort of symbolized anarchy and nihilism and just this whole fear because it, it was one of the craziest, most covered, most feared spree killings uh, and it happened in a major market, and it happened to a famous movie star. Mm-hmm. Sharon Tate was, you know, among the first victims, and so it really gripped America. And as we recently saw in Mindhunter, um, as a plot point, you know, all these FBI analysts are pointing to Manson uh, as among you know these new type of criminals where. The motive is non-existent. It's killing for the sake of killing. Toby, what do you think about Manson? I mean, this is something that I feel like I can ask you because you are, after all, our in-house cult expert. And Manson, in addition to orchestrating these killings, um, they were actually committed by these followers, like the Manson girls, right? He had this, like, group of young, attractive (laughs) women and young men, too, right, who were, like— did anything he wanted them to do. Like, what are your thoughts on this on, on this guy and, and and sort of his cultural import? You know, I think in some ways he, you know, his fame benefited from the amount of writing he inspired. So like Helter Skelter by Vincent Bugliosi, who was the DA who was prosecuting his case, at one point I think was best-selling nonfiction book. Mm-hmm. Of the 70s or something? I don't know the stat of whether it was the bestseller, but I mean, it was definitely one of the most it was acclaimed. Huge. Yeah. It, it sort of kicked right. off the genre of true crime novels like that about about things that in that in that vein, right? Yep. So there was there was that and uh, you know, Joan Didion wrote it sort of a famous essay about it. So, you know, I think it was a combination of a bunch of things, but one of them is, you know, the end of of the sixties. And, and I think there was, you know, some hunger for, to, to show the dark side Mm -hmm. of the hippie lifestyle. I think that that was something that, you know, Americans were both interested in and then, you know, may have like wanted to see. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was kind of, he kind of represented what everybody who was kind of skeptical of hippies or, or hostile to them. Manson was sort of a logical Sort of endpoint. I, I don't agree with that, but I think those kinds of things kind of led to him being like a larger than life figure. When in fact, other than this sort of control he had over his followers, he was sort of a petty criminal. So, Toby, what about some like modern storytelling about Manson? I know that you were a big fan of You Must Remember This, right? And they did a whole season about Manson. Right. Yeah. And that's I think that's really I mean, I, I'm not like a person who's read everything about Charles Manson or whatever, but I did listen to that season and it's excellent. And I think told me all that I wanted to know about Charles Manson. It's strange how he intersected with various people in the entertainment industry mm-hmm. in L.A. And I, I think part of it was fueled through, you know, his his female followers who were essentially sort of free love 
young women who who Manson would kind of act as a pimp for. He he ended up being friends with some uh, bike gang members. I can't remember if they're Hell's Angels or another bike gang, but but bike gangs used to come out and visit him at the ranch. One of the Beach Boys. It was Dennis, right? The drummer. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So anyway, that that's really worth listening to. She's done a ton of research. It's a really good podcast. I haven't listened to the other podcasts about him, but I think like after listening to that one, I didn't feel like I needed to. Yeah. Laura, do you remember this image of Manson in jail, in prison when we were kids? Like he was scarier in prison than any of the footage of him outside of prison. You know, you see that old trial footage of him and so forth. But then the in prison persona is terrifying of Manson. And do you remember, like I do, just being like scared shitless of this guy who was actually in prison? Not necessarily, because, you know, I grew up in Vermont with limited media access. But I do, you know, since then, things that I've read about Manson and kind of, it's just like this name that you always sort of reference, you know, just any any time there's a horrible crime or a horrible murder or anything that's going on. It's like, this is sort of like the standard that you would like hold it up to. Yeah. I was doing some, you know, as the news came out this week, I was reading some articles kind of looking at the history and, and kind of, you know, these kind of looks back at his time in prison. And, um, you know, like he interviewed like Geraldo went in and interviewed him once. And like Geraldo was kind of like, basically, I think he's like, you're a pussy. You couldn't kill people yourself. And he's like, you want me to snap your neck right here or I something to that, that effect. Yep, yep. And then he was on like Inside Edition because somehow he kept getting access to cell phones in prison, <laughs> which is... Very mysterious, and and I hate to think where those cell phones were that ended up in his hands in prison. But um, you know, <laughs> on Inside Edition, he was he was singing at one point. Um, I've seen the world spinning on fire. I've danced and sang in the devil's choir. So I think the fact that he kind of cultivated almost this terrifying persona at the same time there was no remorse ever Mm -hmm. so I think that's what made him so scary the fact that there was no remorse and um, he looked just like this short little guy that could be any person but yet he was so evil I think that's what it is that maybe makes him as as a murderer as a character something that continues to kind of fascinate people in the time that we live in yep does that make sense totally yep he only did i think four jailhouse interviews Mm -hmm. and you know who did like the biggest one no charlie rose oh really yeah (laughs) talk about passing to the guard over the moment right yeah can we talk a sec about mental health and the the criminal justice system, you know, sure. a, a lot of people, you know, I mean, we call Manson crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, is he clinically insane? I mean, he certainly plays the part. Yep. And there are some people who've interviewed him and have, uh, you know, not medical people, but journalists. So it's this next best thing. Have have sort of come to the conclusion that he's not crazy. He's just very good at playing crazy playing crazy right and knowing the attention that, that that gets right right and so i don't i i'll say i haven't listened to these podcasts that uh, about manson um so i am coming at it you know informed only from television reports and things mm-hmm. like you know just common knowledge but yeah i mean I think he was scarier as a prisoner right and prolong you know that prolonged sort of 
reputation that there were still people on the outside that could get to you right. if Manson wanted you dead. Right. Well, one of my favorite Manson references in recent pop culture that I remember listening to with you, Kevin, is there was a wonderful story on the public radio show The Moth mm-hmm. about um, the time when the Manson killings were happening and like a little kid in Los Angeles was at his parents' house and it was like everybody was locked in every night and afraid and then one night like a van of hippies uh, pulls up outside their house and he sees this van pull up outside their house and he thinks that his whole family is about to get killed by the Manson family and it's actually um, his cousin who's in Three Dog Night who shows up with Jim Morrison and they all start jamming in their living room and basically get like a free like Jim Morrison, Three Dog Night. Anyway, it's a wonderful story. You missed the best part. What's that? Which was that the family had a trained monkey. That's right. (laughs) That came out and started dancing. Oh, God. It's so 60s, right? Right. Can you just imagine, like, all of a sudden, Jim Morrison and Janis Joplin and Three Dog Night are, like, playing Joy to the World, and then all of a sudden there's a dancing monkey? Yeah, yeah. That sounds like the 60s to me. I remember, I mean, I remember the early 70s being pretty crazy, and I remember one of our neighbors growing up had a monkey, and, like, that's just not something you see anymore. What? Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was a thing. That was a thing, guys. All right, well, I guess it's time for us to check out some of those Manson podcasts, and Toby recommends the first season of um, You Must Remember This. I remember you recommending that on the show a couple years ago, Toby, so it seems like it's a good time to check that out, right? Yep. Definitely. Well, speaking of, all of us have some time this weekend, and many of our listeners will be traveling by car or plane to visit family this holiday weekend, either to or from Thanksgiving, depending on what time and day I'm able to finish editing this episode (laughs) and put it out. I'm hoping to put it out by Thanksgiving morning. But one of the things that we do typically this time of year is give some recommendations as to what we are listening to or watching, perhaps to inspire you to plug in and listen to some of the things that we're checking out. So panelists, I guess my question is this, you know, um, you'll have time on the highway, waiting at the airport, maybe stuck with your in-laws. What recommendations do you have for people to read, watch, or listen to over this long holiday weekend? Toby, I'm going to start with you. So one thing I've been listening to, and I've, I've tweeted about it a little bit, it's called The Polybius Conspiracy. Yes. Uh, it's a six-part series from Showcase from Radiotopia. But I think if you just query on Polybius Conspiracy, you'll find it. It's interesting because it's about a sort of rumored video game. This is like a real urban legend. And, you know, you can go and Google it and there's there's stuff on the Internet. And what this podcast does is in addition to like legit interviews and, and some research into this, it also has this fictional storyline with these fictional characters that's kind of woven into it. So, you know, as it goes along, it seems more and more fictional. Mm-hmm. But at the beginning, uh, it definitely has the feel of sort of a documentary podcast. So I thought it was really interesting. Um, you know, I, I the ending wasn't as good as the rest of it, but it's definitely worth a listen on the road. A second one that I've been listening to quite a bit, and this has got like, you know, months and months worth of listening is called The Dollop. And it's these two comedians, and one of them basically researches a topic, basically in U.S. history, but I think some also some Australian history because they toured Australia. And so he has basically a research paper that he reads, and this other comedian kind of hasn't read the paper, so he's kind of reacting in real time to what he's hearing, and they go off and they, they do these little skits every once in a while, and uh, it's basically a lot of 
improv, but the, the, the history research is really interesting as well. Mm. They've got a ton. Like, they have hundreds. Um, <laughs> I, love, I love when you discover a show like that. Some are better than others, but I think uh, some of the good ones, there's one about Uber, which I thought was really good. There's one about Ross Perot that's really good. Yeah, so check that out. And the last thing I'll say is uh, if there's any NBA fans out there, I'll plug Open Floor Sports Illustrated's NBA podcast, which I like a lot as well. You know, I've heard a lot about Open Floor, actually. You're the third person to mention that to me in the last two days. It's not me mentioning it three times. No, people love it. And also, the, the is it the Polybius conspiracy? That's, that's how it's pronounced? Polybius, not Polybius, as my son says. It's Polybius. I think it's Polybius. It yeah. was, that wasn't what I was expecting. But yeah. that's, what they, that's how they pronounced it. I've heard a ton of buzz about that. And that, again, is on the Showcase podcast feed. So like you can look up Showcase from PRX, Radiotopia, or Polybius. And I've heard a ton about it. That's actually on my cue. I've been dying to listen to it. So, Laura, what are you recommending to our listeners that they check out this holiday weekend? Well, I have been listening to Deadly Manners, and I know a lot of our listeners have been listening to it, and I have some mixed feelings about it. It does get a little repetitive um, as it goes on, but it is a really fun and different kind of podcast. Um, So it's a 10-part podcast. I think there still might be one or two waiting to drop or in the last week. And it's it's kind of based on like a 1940s, 1950s radio show, but it's like the game of Clue. And it's got a cast list, much like we had when we had Homecoming, where we had like name... I want to say name brand actors and actresses taking part. Yeah, Kristen Bell, LeVar Burton, RuPaul. So there's a dinner party at the, you know, and Kristen Bell is like the, you know, society woman and she's like total snot until you get later into the uh, series and find out there's more going on with her than you expect. Uh, But they all are trapped at the dinner party when a storm comes up and people start dying. And it's just, it's fun to listen to. It's something if you're in the car with your family, like I listen to it with my son on the way to swimming. And it's yeah, some people are getting killed. But it's it's like, you know, (laughs) PG rated killing. So it's okay to listen to with your kids if you're in the car. It's it's kind of fun. And and it's just kind of a a nice way to check out and, and it's it doesn't take a lot of brain power to listen to although I will say the one thing it is you have to concentrate a little bit to keep track of all the different characters right. because there is definitely a lot of characters involved in this right but that is something you know I keep going back to week after week I'm like oh let's see what's going on with that and they are always running out of beef Wellington so it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun thing to listen to I've had that on my list for a while and I've also had on my list and something that I'm going to pitch to you guys to talk about in a future episode is a uh, small town dicks the Yardley Smith podcast Mm -hmm. true crime podcast so we may talk about that in a future episode too because that's been on my queue but i have two recommendations one of them is Ernest, and one of them is just so freaking awesome i can't wait to tell you about it so the Ernest one i just want to recommend because it's a different kind of story and if you listen to missing and murdered the cbc podcast about alberta williams you might be interested in this if you're interested in environmental issues you might be interested or if you're interested in like radiolab and you just like hearing weird backstories to things that you think you know about check out the four-part series coming out right now by the nhpr podcast outside in full disclosure i work at nhpr i know the people making this but i would not be recommending it if it weren't super interesting it is the 
backstory you've never heard behind hydropower, which is how a lot of the United States gets its electricity. And it's basically about how hydropower came to be because French Canadians who were a marginalized population in Canada, it is a point of pride for them. They created this hydropower thing and they it is their crown jewel. They sort of ascended in society because it this this huge industry was created and made all these jobs for French Canadians but at huge expense to indigenous people whose land was stolen and who signed deals that were super unfair and whole tribes were left out of it. It's really interesting. The sound design is super good. So check out Powerline. That's the name of the series by Outside. And it's four parts. Three parts are out now. And I checked that out. But I don't want to like say that Powerline isn't as good as this recommendation, but I cannot wait to tell you guys about this one. And um, I'm sure you've been seeing people talk about it on social media. There is a brand new true crime parody podcast out called Done Disappeared, uh, (laughs) hosted by John John David David Booter, (laughs) produced by John David Booter and written by John David Booter with music by John David Booter. This parody podcast, Done Disappeared, very short episodes. They're about 10 minutes each. The third one came out today. I don't understand the release schedule at all because it seems like there was one and then there was two. Now there's three. It is, I think, brilliant. It is, in a tiny little package, everything that this show has put a pin in hating about every shitty true crime podcast we have ever talked about all in one little tiny satirical package. Kevin, you've been listening to it with me. I don't want to like ruin some of the comedic surprises because there are some big kind of like comedic surprises in this very short episodes, but you're enjoying it too, right? I I am. Yeah. (laughs) It's very funny. And it's, yeah. And for what American Vandal did for true crime documentaries in a very short way this uh, done disappeared uh, does for true crime podcasts and the john david booter who may or may not be a real person is a genius and is doing this whole thing basically in a closet in his house right he's just like it's, it's not it's yeah not like, who the hell would do that it's not like a gimlet making this little thing i don't know i think it's super clever and if you are the kind of person who knows the kind of stuff we hate you will love this podcast. That's all I can say about it. And I just don't want to ruin any surprises. So check out Done Disappeared. Kevin, what are your recommendations? Okay, I have uh, two. Uh, One is a watch. One is a listen. Mm -hmm. So uh, on the way to Grandma's house, uh, if you want to sort of uh, get caught up on all things uh, political Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you want to be ready for that debate at the dinner table, a must listen to is called More Perfect. It's the best. And it's from the people at Radiolab, and it's basically about the Supreme Court. Now, before I lose you, let me tell you, it's really well done and super interesting. Not just, it's not like a a law class. It is, you know, about the human stories behind certain things. In this season, their second season, they're looking at some of the most unpopular court cases Everything from Korematsu to uh, Citizens United. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, you'll be able to hold your own uh, with your drunk uncle <laughs> at the dinner table <laughs> once you've had this. Another one, like if after dinner, when you're looking for something to watch, if you're not into football and you can bring up Netflix on the TV, I would say watch 
Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Oh, it's the best. I can't believe we haven't we. I've never this. heard of it before until like two weeks ago. because it's, it's been on CW and CW, not everybody yeah. watches CW. But Here's I heard the, about but, it from my snooty podcast friend at Slate, for God's sake. Well, you're hearing about it from your husband now. <laughs> um, here's the premise. Uh, a very successful but neurotic girl who uh, had a summer camp fling with a boy named Josh when she was 16, crosses paths with him in New York City as an adult. She has a become a very successful lawyer, but she's so unhappy. She finds out that Josh lives in West Covina, California, so she decides to drop everything and move to West Covina. And no, of course, she's not the crazy ex-girlfriend she keeps telling herself. It is so super funny. It's, it's not just funny. It's also a musical. It's like Flight of the Concords. So Very funny. They're, they're, in every episode, there are at least two songs with you know musical numbers, a la Glee. But these original songs are so freaking funny. And uh, it's clean, but it's super edgy and, and can dark, get dark. Yeah. And uh, I think I think folks will love it. And it's a good way to sort of get into the other room and escape the smell of pumpkin spice. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what else can save you from the smell of pumpkin What's spice? That? It's the smell of coconut oil. Oh, that's why. Please tell me it's Kopari. Yes, that's why we love Kopari. Kopari's beauty line of products is made from 100% organic coconut oil. Can I get an amen? Amen. No, come on. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen, amen on Kapari. All right, now, we talk about Kapari. Rebecca, I have this right here. What is that, Kevin? All right, this is the uh, Kopari Skin Care Beauty Bag. There's a visual for this ad. This, yeah, this nice little pink bag, and inside here, huh? With palm trees oh, that's on the it. one I like. It has the three um, things for your face, right? No, Laura, it isn't. You're just, oh. everybody's screwing up my bit. What is it, Kevin? It's a bag. It has uh, four full-size containers for their four-step coconut skincare system. So open it up. <laughs> that's exactly what Laura just said. That's right. <laughs> uh, so here's the first thing. Okay. So what is that? This is coconut cleansing oil. Yeah, that removes makeup mm-hmm. and dirt. And then we have... This is Laura's favorite stuff. Take this one out. It what is. is that? Coconut rose toner. Right, that you give mm-hmm. a little, yourself a little quick spritz mm-hmm. and consider yourself hydrated. And you come out with this big guy. What is that one? It's coconut face cream. Yeah, uh, lightweight. And uh, it softens your skin. And then uh, what is this? Coconut lip love. Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, lip gloss that hydrates... And shine. So you get all that in a beautiful bag that's uh, your beauty bag for yourself or makes a great gift. All this stuff from Kapari. I'm not Kapari. giving that away. <laughs> I see. All right. There you go. Open them up. Start rubbing it all over your face because it's made from products that are free of sulfates, silicones, GMOs, or parabens. It's essentially the best thing ever. I love Kapari. You know I do. Yeah. Say aloha to your best skin and hair and elbows. And lips. And peels mm-hmm. and that crack behind your knee that gets all, you know, it's the your best. Your knee pit. Your knee pit, yeah. The best stuff of your life with Kopari. Go to koparibeauty.com slash crime and get 20% off your order. That's Kopari, K-O-P-A-R-I, beauty.com slash crime. For 20% off, koparibeauty.com slash crime. What else you got, Kevin? Well, it's not just for the ladies. The guys have to feel good about themselves, too. <laughs> guys. And uh, nothing makes... Every day is Guys Feel Good About Themselves Day. Oh. <laughs> uh, not recently. <laughs> no, there's certainly one thing, though, that guys will always feel good about, and it's a close, clean shave 
from a Harry's razor. Oh, yes, that's true. Harry's is very popular in this group. Yeah, it, you know, Harry's has already... Three million guys have switched to Harry's. Three million? Three million. And this is a very practical gift that you can give at Christmas that is super freaking awesome. Okay, so this holiday, Harry's is offering custom and limited edition shaving kits that make perfect gifts. Their gift sets were built with your guy in mind, so you know that he's going to love it. The set comes with the standard German-engineered five-blade cartridges that Harry's is, are, is known for. They provide a close, comfortable shave, the foaming shave gel that smells amazing, and a special limited-edition winter chrome and emerald green handle. And they'll personalize it with engraving. Hmm. So no matter what you're looking for, Harry's has you covered. Sets come ready to gift in beautifully designed gift boxes, and gift sets start at just $10. So they're great stocking stuffers. Even get something for yourself with Harry's. As a special offer for fans, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off your order when you go to harrys.com slash crime. Mm-hmm. This offer is only available for the holidays. So this holiday, give Harry's and give handsome. Get your holiday shopping done early and take advantage of free shipping to get a limited edition holiday shave set while supplies last. Go to harrys.com slash crime right now. That's harrys.com slash crime. Crime. All right, before we move on, I just want to say a congratulations to one of our listeners, Megan Teal. She's a member of the Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group, the official Facebook discussion group. Mm-hmm. And she came on today to tell the group uh, she got into law school. She wanted to share with her favorite podcast, Congratulations. Strangers. And it's been, just just so you know, guys, if you're not a member of the Crime Writers on official Facebook discussion group, it's the kind of group where, like, you can share good news and then I might talk about it on the podcast. So congratulations, Megan. Maybe we'll be talking about one of your cases someday on this show. <laughs> I hope we're around that long. <laughs> well, school takes a long freaking time. It's three years. <laughs> That's pretty optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're going to talk about the Netflix documentary Long Shot. This is the story of a Los Angeles man accused of shooting a witness in his brother's murder trial. But Juan Catalan thought he had the perfect alibi. He was at a Dodgers game at the time of the shooting. And in the documentary, his legal team must find a way to prove that he was among the 27 or so thousand people at that game. Now, warning, we will be giving some spoilers for this documentary. So if you want, pause the podcast here, come back or jump ahead. The time code for when it's safe to rejoin can be found in the show notes of your podcast download. By the way, you won't have to pause for long because this documentary is just 45 minutes long. One of my favorite things about it. Now, Kevin, this is one of the shortest things we've ever reviewed, but I kind of feel like it was exactly the right length that it needed to be. Do you agree? Yeah, I think it's a story that knew the story it wanted to tell. Yeah. And got got it sort of exactly right. It didn't have to be a six-part series. One of the things, Laura, that was interesting to me about Longshot is that I hadn't heard of this case before, you know, learning about this documentary. And that's in large part because the documentary doesn't focus on a trial. It focuses on a preliminary hearing, which is one of those processes that, like, you have before you have a trial. I'm sure you're familiar with them as a former defense Mm -hmm. investigator. Do you think that 
there are lots of cases out there like this one that maybe we haven't heard about or will never hear about because this amazing thing happened in this part of the defense process? Oh, absolutely. As I was watching this, um, you know, even though the lawyer was the one that was going out trying to get the footage and the video and the witnesses, I mean, that was basically the type of work that I did. And there was lots of cases where things like that happened. And I, you know, one came to mind where I remember there was like a case where this guy was accused of doing something with an ex-girlfriend, his crazy ex-girlfriend. And um, (laughs) he was like, I wasn't there. And I remember going all over trying to get surveillance footage of where this guy actually was getting bank receipts and all this stuff. And in the end, he actually wasn't where he was accused of being. He was where he said he was. And so that was a case that I was involved in where, yes, the same thing happened. So I think there are cases like this, but it, it requires, you know, whoever is involved in the defense to be persistent because some of this is real grunt work that you have to go out and do trying to confirm details. So, Toby, one of the things that I want to talk about in this case is this lawyer, Todd Melnick, who works for Juan Catalan and is the person who, A, believes in his client and B, really seems to be willing to help him prove this alibi that, you know, I think a lesser lawyer might just be like, all right, we'll just say that, show the tickets and that'll be that. How do you think about how this was presented and the story as told through that lawyer's perspective? Yeah, it's a lawyer I would like to have. Um, <laughs> at the beginning, he says that his friend, doesn't he like find out about him through his friend who says he knows this high-powered lawyer or something or a very successful lawyer? Yeah, it's um, something like that. But then he was also like a TV commentator in addition to being a defense attorney. That guy spent a lot of time on sort of a needle in a haystack kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But good thing that he did, right? Yeah. And the, on the other side, we have a prosecutor who we're told oh God. has <laughs> never lost a murder case or maybe just lost one murder case or something. The sniper. Yeah, the sniper. <laughs> um, and in a media interview, we see that she's very comfortable pursuing a death penalty case with just a single witness despite this alibi. Thoughts, Toby? You know, the the show is kind of, you know, it's a feel good story in the end and it's kind of lighthearted. But the thought process behind pursuing the death penalty on somebody based on a single eyewitness in in essentially the dark. Mm-hmm. Again, it, you know, and I, I say this again and again over many podcasts, but it seems insane. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you think the guy did it based on this little bit of stuff, like at least put him into jail. So if somebody comes forward and confesses later, you can let him go because what you've got him on is just not very much at all. Right. So anyway, I, I, it's hard for me to wrap my head around the attitude of these prosecutors who really like hang their hat on how many people they send to death row. Hmm. And she's she's one of them. And she seems very happy with it. And in <laughs> this case, if Larry David hadn't been shooting that that episode and just happened to pick that section and happened to like get him when he was taking his daughter to the bathroom. Like he'd probably be on death row right now. Yeah. Good thing for her little bladder, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Laura, what do you think of the lawyers on both sides of this case? We see Todd Melnick, the defense attorney, and then we see this prosecutor. Um, I hear a lot of gasping and laughing in the background with you. Um, Yes. Thoughts on the defense attorney and thoughts on the prosecutor? Go. Well, I have to say, it's funny. I Usually I can't get uh, Fireman Ken to watch anything with me. And he watched this because I was like, oh, it's about sports. You should watch it. Sports ball. And even he, he was like, what is wrong with this woman? She's a clam. He was like yelling at the TV. <laughs> he called her a clam? 
he did. He called her a class. <laughs> classy as always, Fireman Ken. Love it. And uh, so, no, she was just, you know, I feel like her attitude, but I felt like it played into the story because that made the vindication in the end so much more satisfying because mm-hmm. she was just such a bitch. I mean, she was just <laughs> awful. But, I, you know, I loved that this defense attorney clearly believed in his client and in the end when you see him getting out and you see the end result and you see them hugging you're like this is somebody that's in this for the right reason they're keeping the system fair and he went so above and beyond to confirm every little detail because you know like I said I've been in in cases where you're confirming things and it's like you may have one bit of information but you have to go that extra step and this attorney did and and he was handsome too and he was had that (laughs) all-american thing going on so you know I I did enjoy that part of the show but I, I did, you know, in the end, I was like, it's it's good that it worked out in this case, but there are cases where it doesn't work out. Right. And, and you have to wonder how many of those are there. I mean, there certainly are cases, like I said, that I've been involved in where, you know, you pursue things and things get dropped before trial because they have the wrong person. But there are also cases where they don't. And, and Larry David just killed me. Oh, my God. I just. Well, <laughs> let's just like take a little side trip and talk about Larry David <laughs> for right. a second. Um could he be less interested in having saved a man's life with his stupid TV show? Kevin, didn't he seem like, uh, he just thought it was like a little bit funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell it at parties. <laughs> I think he understands that, you know, his contribution was sort of serendipitous. Mm-hmm. He didn't like rush in and pull somebody from a burning building or, you know, called somebody while people were jumping out of a burning house telling him, stop texting me about the new fucking cat. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but, you know, I mean, he just, that's sort of his sense of humor. It's very wry. And I think, you know, the the, the fact that someone referred to him as like a huge megastar, mm-hmm. you know. He was he, very amused by that. He was bemused by that, I think, you know. <laughs> uh, but that's his character, you know, and his TV persona as well as his, you know, sort of real life personality. He's not building himself up like saying, you know, that he found a missing girl or right. something. You know, he just he, said yes, basically, yeah. when they asked to look at the tape. That's all that he did, yeah. right? Yeah, so yeah, go ahead, have a look at the tape. If this were an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, like uh, he would have a, lead, led to the exoneration of someone and then also led to the wrongful execution of someone else in the same episode, right? With the same, <laughs> yeah, by saying no to something else. Now, Laura, one of the things that uh, really struck me was that, you know, they find this footage, this Curb Your Enthusiasm footage. And that is still somehow not enough to get the prosecutor mm-hmm. to, like, back off from, like, pursuing mm-hmm. this capital potentially murder case. Why wasn't that enough, Laura Bricker? Why wasn't that enough? They were really splitting hairs. But, no, it's because they were they were going on the premise of, yes, he was in this video, but he still would have had time to drive to the crab crib, kill the girl, <laughs> and go back to the game. If they were really clocking everything out, they're like, okay, it would be possible, you know, with just this footage that shows him at this time that he could have done X, Y, and Z. So they needed some more supporting materials to show that, no, it's not possible. And those those baseball cards were, you know, that was definitely, you know, very helpful. It was helpful, as were those cell tower records. And as yes. we know, that is a sometimes controversial piece of evidence that comes up. But in this case... 
It did the defendant good by showing with an outgoing phone call that he was actually in that vicinity as opposed to, of course, an incoming phone call, which we now know, because of undisclosed, is not reliable in tracking someone's location. Um, Toby, let's say you were in a preliminary hearing for your murder trial and you were being wrongfully accused of a crime you did not commit because you looked a little bit like, okay, you looked a lot like the sketch that a sketch artist created, except for a little soul patch under your chin. And you're sitting there and the judge gets to see all the evidence, including a videotape shot by a professional film crew at a baseball stadium that shows you were somewhere else. What would you think of your judge in making her ruling, bringing the evidence home and showing her children in order to make the decision that could change the rest you of your playing life? Playing the audio tapes of your interrogation. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, I mean that. See, that was the. Uh, if you have the three-legged stool of justice, <laughs> like the defensive lawyer is like right on. The prosecutor is the worst. And then this judge, she's pretty open about it. She said, you know, I listened to this thing again and again, and I asked my kids to listen to it. And I just kept thinking, is this the voice of a murderer? I'm like, no, that's not that's not your job. You know, you're supposed to be evaluating evidence and stuff. It's not you're not supposed to be listening to people's voices and. And based on that, deciding where they should go on trial for capital murder. Will the defendant please rise and say the Pledge of Allegiance very slowly? <laughs> Can you read this Hallmark card? This Hallmark card, that's right. <laughs> Sing a little tune or something. Uh, yeah, I was shocked that she would do that, that she would then talk about it for a documentary. <laughs> Proudly. I, mean, I just, like, how the hell did she get that position? I, it's just... Bizarre. Well, anyway. we know how she got the position. She was either appointed or elected. That's how she got the position. She's probably yeah. appointed, right, is, is, is what I'm guessing. Kevin. Yeah. We see another interesting character in this documentary, the Curb Your Enthusiasm production assistant. Yes. He had one job. He had one job, <laughs> which was to keep people, or at least discourage people, from walking down those stairs. At the aisle, the, uh, baseball, yeah, and, at the baseball stadium. And he goes, eh, okay, you guys go. And it's... <laughs> If you know, if he wasn't so half-assed at his job, this guy might be on death row. Right. And he just okay, you go. But I think that it's it looked like that they showed him the clip mm-hmm. uh, because he wouldn't have been involved in sort of any other process of like finding the film and bringing it to to the court. And it, it looked like he might he might have seen it for the first time right then, and it kind of like was one of the few actual like emotional moments. Well, there this? were a lot of emotions, emotional with Juan Catalan himself and his girlfriend. Bit. I thought those were very emotional. I mean, enough time has passed. It seemed that you didn't feel like, you couldn't feel a lot was at stake. I mean, you knew you were shown a lot. But, you know, as far as just like tugging on heartstrings and whatnot, I mean, it's feel good. But I don't think you ever sort of felt the whole, I don't know. Uh, like how what you do could change somebody's life forever. Larry David didn't yeah. do squat. That guy didn't do his job, and that resulted in this guy not being sent to prison for yeah. a crime I, I mean, commit. We're, we're told that uh, you know his life is on the line and his liberty is on the line, but I don't think we ever like feel that. Right. Maybe it's because you know ten years have passed, but maybe it's because they do plenty of hinting. I think at the beginning, and also we saw this in, about this on the Today Show before we actually yeah, watched the thing. So we kind of knew news, yeah, yeah. what the outcome was going. Maybe that has to do with it. But you think that was an emotional moment when the PA started to tear up a little bit when he saw the film? Yeah. Now, Laura, the uh, daughter Juan Catalan's little daughter uh, was brought in to yeah. testify in this preliminary hearing. 
That was brutal, eh? That was brutal. And honestly, I didn't find it super effective. I mean, I, I, I was like... She was so tiny. Yeah. Um, you know, she she was had a hard time talking because she was so little and it, it was a big thing what she was doing. And I, I was surprised that they did put her up as a witness. Kids can go either way, I think. Um, I mean, it was it was interesting, but I, I didn't find her to be as compelling as I think the defense attorney had hoped she would be. Right, right. But what was compelling, I think, was seeing Catalan in, him cry oh when she was God. up there. That was horrible. I was like, oh, my God. It was heartbreaking. It yeah, it was, that was awful. That's sort of when you realize that he, I mean, he has a brother who has been yep. in trouble with the law. He's, like, very much on the straight and narrow. You see him going to work at his dad's what, machine shop or whatever in the morning. Mm-hmm. He sort of has yep. his act together, except for the fact that, by the way, like, he has this relationship where he has to, like, convince his girlfriend to come over to his house, which is, like, that's a little weird. call at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> but then you really see, you know, the import and, and the effect that this is having on him and how he is really the wrong guy sitting there in the wrong chair. Which is why it is so satisfying to me, and this is something we don't see in a lot of exoneration stories and wrongful conviction stories, that the two cops that we see in the documentary, mostly in their testimony and then in what we later find out are depositions given in a civil suit, they actually kind of got what was coming to them a little bit. They weren't, you know, convicted of a crime, but they were demoted, moved to departments, et cetera, and then the police had to pay the civil suit. Toby, isn't it great to see some cops actually sort of held to account for the bad practices of policing? Yeah, definitely. You know, watching them, my sense of their attitude was like, am I really being like, are you really going here? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really going to get in trouble for this? I don't know how much those kinds of things are just sort of standard procedure, even if they're not sort of technically legal, I guess. But yeah, it was it was nice. It's nice to see some people get their comeuppance because it doesn't seem to happen very often. It doesn't with cops and prosecutors. And I will say that, you know, the deception that they do in the interrogation where they show the photo array with his his face circle oh. that's not illegal right kevin it's it's not illegal for cops to lie to interrogation suspects that's true but it's funny because this is not the first time these cops did specifically this mm-hmm. you remember that one of the reasons why juan was singled out was because his brother was involved in a murder case mm-hmm. And one of the witnesses was this victim, right. which is why these two detectives were he were also on one. They suspected, okay, there's a connection the to all where of the this. Witness had testified. Right. So what had happened to Juan's brother is that they came in again. They didn't have any of the evidence. They circled the guy's own photo on what they call the six pack, uh, you know, the, the six shots, and wrote down, "This is who shot my neighbor." And uh, showed it to these gang members and uh, initialed it MP, which are the initials of the victim in Juan's case. Right. So essentially the cops lied and tipped off, falsely tipped off these gang members that this woman fingered them. Huh. Which led to her death, which we find out later on she was killed in part of this federal case against this gang. Yeah. So this was the second time that they did that. So they actually caused her death with this deception. They did. They did. Now, I'm not sure. You know, you're often given a lot of leeway to lie and be deceptive in a very freewheeling interrogation. 
I know this is a fib. I'm not sure exactly why this is something that goes beyond the pale. Mm-hmm. But they were just not listening to Juan Catalan. They had their mind made up. And even though they didn't have a whole bunch of evidence, they decided to make some up. But that's the theme we see over and over again, right? You come up with a suspect. You only devote time and energy to that suspect. And by the way, the train of thought, I don't think, was terrible. Like... Here's a guy, we have a sketch that looks roughly like a guy who is in the courtroom when this victim testified in another case. I mean, it's not crazy to think that it could be him, right? Except that nothing else pointed to it. And there was also this amazing alibi. This is not a crappy, tenuous alibi. This is a very strong alibi. You know, that drawing, the composite, Mm -hmm. looked kind of like him, but it also looked like all those other guys in those in those pictures and, you know, like a lot of composites, it just looks like a lot of people. Right. So the idea that the prosecutor, like that's like a critical part of her case is this thing. It's an exact match of him, I guess. It looks more <laughs> like him today, 10 years later. Right. With yeah. the pounds filled out than it did of him then. Right. It was a pretty nondescript drawing of a Latino man with a mustache. And short hair. The prosecutor was the worst. It's I, I'm just yeah. everything that comes up is like another reason for me to hate prosecutors. To like, well, the the idea that if I got in trouble and I was facing that prosecutor who just wanted to put me on death row, and then I had some judge who's going to judge me based on whether she thinks I sound like a murderer. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like it, it is. It's like a terrible scenario. It's got almost nothing to do with whether you're innocent or not. Right. But, but don't you get the sense in this whole thing that, like, this is just how they churn through cases? Is, remember remember that Juan said, I would go in every day for 10 minutes for this portion. Like, he'd go in. It's like days of, like, this preliminary hearing. This is like they're yeah. seeing tons of defendants. Even this defendant, his, his wonderful defense attorney was like, I have tons of defendants. And, like, this time I knew the person was innocent. Like, Laura, this is just a system that churns through people, and this is how people get convicted. And often, yep. I, I don't want to say majority of the time, but obviously there are more than one wrongful convictions of people just churning through the system with these, like, I mean, think about it, Laura, like a composite drawing. It's like a game of telephone, right? It's like mm-hmm. somebody who saw something remembering what they saw, which is already one layer of the game of telephone, where because they don't like having to call back things and filling in details telling someone else who's then drawing it so there's this like the, the gap make the between, no smaller make yeah, it smaller the make gap it bigger. between that person's brain and their hand you know yeah. and then there's the gap between the people looking at it and what it actually is like and this is evidence there, there's definitely a lot of people going through the system that are guilty but they maybe are not necessarily guilty of what they are charged with but you know it's it's there's so many cases and so many people backed up that you know in order to keep the court moving forward, they just keep moving these cases through. And, you know, it depends on who's involved and how committed they are to bringing out the entire story of a certain case as to as to, you know, what's going to happen. And then it, it could all be dependent on which judge you have, you could have a good judge, or you could have a completely nutty judge who, you know, isn't even going to follow the law. So it's it's frustrating. Um, but I do feel like, you know, in recent times, I feel like at least there's a lot more awareness of this. And I, I feel like hopefully the tide is changing. Serious question, Kevin. Yeah. This is a documentary in which an HBO show saved a man's life. <laughs> Why wasn't this documentary on HBO? Why was it on Netflix? Yeah. That's a good question. Actually, I read maybe like a paragraph about that because I think someone else brought that up. 
this filmmaker had gone around screening this at some film festivals. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of like the minor league proving ground for some of these like Netflix deals. So the, all the streaming services are there. So, the, But I mean, you would think HBO would be all over this. You would think that. Uh, but yeah. Because they saved a man's life or their stupid show I did. mean, they could certainly have <laughs> positioned it that way. Right, right. Yeah. Now, Toby, uh, you know, one of the things that we hinted at earlier was this is a very tight, short documentary. Um, as one critic said, as Kevin brought up, it knows the story it wants to tell. Were you comfortable with the very compact length of this? Did you wish it was longer? Or do you think it was just right? No, I think it was a 40-minute story. <laughs> no, I, seriously, I mean, I don't know what else you would have put in that would have made it better. Listen, it could have so. been a 12-part investigative podcast done by some dude in his basement, John David... John David Booter. Booter. <laughs> it could have been, but it wasn't. It was tight. It was. I, I agree with Toby. I agree with what you said earlier, Kevin. It's like sometimes a thing just can be one thing, and it can be one quick thing, and you get everything you need, and it doesn't make it... But you know. could I find Juan and his daughter <laughs> in a crowd of 27,000 people? Oh, let's talk about that for one second. Because we hear the announcer say twice, right? 27,000. I'm going to for a second. Yeah. It's 27,458. I think that's actually the number. Yeah. We see it on the screen in the print. We hear the announcer say it. We hear him say it's it Vin again. It's Scully. Yeah, and we hear, we, hear, we hear him say it again. And then we hear throughout the document people are like, there were 45,000 people there. <laughs> and then the, and the your enthusiasm guy's like, there were 60,000 people there. I'm like, nope, there were 27,458 people there. <laughs> Still a lot of people, nonetheless. <laughs> Pretty good for a, uh, a Los Angeles baseball game on a Monday night. It's like my one quibble with it is like, maybe edit out those bites because the viewer- No, I think leave it in. I think it, I, <laughs> All right, well, and this is the time of the show where we go around the horn, and uh, if our listeners have skipped past the review part and just want to hear if they should check out Long Shot on Netflix, or if they've listened to the review part and just want to make feel good about the fact that they've already watched it, what do you guys think? Do you recommend Long Shot, the short documentary on Netflix, thumbs up or thumbs down? I'm going to start with you, Laura Bricker. I say thumbs up. You know what? It's 40 minutes. If you hate it, it's, it's over in 40 minutes. But I liked it. I liked it. You know, it gives you a feel-good feeling about the criminal justice system, that it's not all bad, and that if you are actually innocent and you know, that you can be vindicated. And it was set up. I liked how it was set up. You know, I didn't know anything about the story when I went into it. Um, I didn't read anything or know anything ahead of time. So it revealed things at just the right time. And then just when you think it's over, you find out that the corrupt cops got what was coming to them. And that was just the greatest part. Toby, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down on Long Shot on Netflix? Yeah, I give it a thumbs up. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's kind of like going out to eat and like getting a really nice slice of pizza mm -hmm. in that it's, you know, it's modest, but it it's good. And uh, I don't feel like everybody needs to drop what they're doing right now and watch it. But it's definitely enjoyable. It's a nice story. Yeah. So thumbs up. Thumbs up for me, too. I found it very satisfying. It has a very satisfying conclusion on a couple of levels, aside from the ones that we've talked about. I don't want to throw another spoiler in there, but there is another conclusion that we discover. We discover what really happened, which is really Which we cool, don't always find out. Which we don't always find out. I think it was a great compact length could have been five minutes longer maybe no i'm just kidding <laughs> i really like long shot netflix i recommend our listeners check it out what about you kevin yeah i'm a thumbs up too we always say that endings are important and this was a story that had a, a happy ending just like those in the personalized books from wonderbleed <laughs> so the creators of lost my name had now have a, a variety of personalized books for any occasion with stories about christmas 
birthdays and even a journey through Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. You know who I want to get a Wonderbly book? Who? John David Booter. John David Booter. <laughs> He'd like it. I can't wait to give mine to Brendan. Yeah. Who's my uh, my little nephew. Your adorable nephew. Right. Uh, he's young, uh, but he can spell his name. And so even though he may be too young to read the rest of the book, he really is going to really enjoy seeing all the different letters of his name come up on each of the pages, um, beautifully illustrated and personalized just for him. Now, you can make a gift like this for your child, and you can do it in minutes. They're wonderful gifts for Christmas, baby showers, birthdays, or, or just because. So the book I'm going to recommend uh, for the holiday season is called My Christmas Snowflake, a charmingly personalized holiday story the whole family will adore and read every Christmas because the personalization includes the entire family. So you can put mom and dad and all of the kids in there up to nine different names. And uh, it's the story of how little snowflake gets home. And Hmm. it even comes with an ornament. Very cute. Yeah, so it's a really great gift to give. Go to wonderbly.com. It's W-O-N-D-E-R-B-L-Y. And enter your little one's name for a full, free preview of their story. Enter code CRIME Crime. at checkout and get 15% off your order. Great for Christmas. Great for any time. Wonderbly.com. Enter code CRIME, CRIME today. Got anything else, Kevin? Yeah, um, as we're talking about the holiday season, uh, those books are great for little kids, but Mommy and Daddy want some wine. (laughs) (laughs) And Cameron Hughes is a sure thing for the holiday season. You can get the finest wines for all of your holiday hosting and gift giving. And we have really great news. Cam has given us an early Black Friday offer starting right now. Cool. When you use code CRIME Crime. at chwine.com. That's for Cameron Hughes Wine. You'll get 30% off your entire purchase Ooh. and free shipping on a case. That's so a good deal. Wow. This deal only happens once a year, and honestly, I cannot tell you enough how much I love sharing these wines with my family and my friends, and I am the hit of Thanksgiving. Rebecca. Wow. There it goes. That was a big sip. That was the last sip of my glass of Cameron Hughes Cabernet. It's okay, babe. Delicious. I got more coming on the way because it's Black Friday. Can't wait. Typically, this is a Cyber Monday special, but I convinced Cam to offer this to all of us. Your best friend, Cam? Cam and I were talking, and I was like, man, I've got a great idea. Cam. Let's do this now. He's pretty handsome, I have to say. (laughs) Cam is pretty handsome. Is he more or less handsome than that prosecutor? Are you going to rank him? I think he is more handsome because he's rugged and he's outside in his vineyard in every photo that I see. (laughs) Yeah. So that in itself is going to make me order some wine. So I said, Cam, let's not wait till Black Friday. Let's do it right now. This is the best deal you have all year. He said, yeah, you're you're right, Kev. You're always right. Up to 30% off any wine and free shipping on a case just in time for you to stock up for the holidays. But the only way to get 30% off and free shipping is to go to chwine.com. That's chwine.com to shop for amazing, award-winning luxury wines. Enter promo code CRIME at checkout and you'll get any wine for 30% off and free shipping. Don't wait. These wines won't last with a deal like this. And this offer expires Sunday November 26th. Wow. You really got to get on that. Got to get on it. CHWine.com, promo code CRIME. Crime. Now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the Crime Crime of of the the week. Week. As the holiday season officially begins, the war on Christmas has come to Great Britain. Actually, it's the war on Father Christmas. 
The National Trust, which runs Britain's historic homes and castles, has ordered workers to not refer to the jolly old elf as Santa Claus. They want St. Nick to go by the traditional English moniker, Father Christmas. They say Santa is too American. Ooh, really? The National Trust is denying it's an outright Santa ban, but an etiquette expert says that Father Christmas has upper class connotations that fit with the organization's real estate. He says British lower classes most often refer to him as Santa Claus. Mm. Some posh observers cheer the move, complaining that Christmas in their country has become too Americanized. So question Santa, Santa Claus is actually it comes from Sinterklaas, which is um I think uh Dutch. <laughs> you just made that shit up. What I did are you not talking about no, 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 I think I think you're right. I and kinda... his elf, Boyardi. <laughs> <laughs> and then they've got that crazy racist Schwartz Peter. <laughs> what? what? There's this like part of the Christmas thing is that there's like a black guy who I think comes down and beats kids. Oh God! <laughs> like this, the oh my goodness! This is not good. You haven't heard about this? This is no. going it, real it's dark. It's like this crazy racist, like this is the uh, Dutch. The what Dutch. Is Hold on, I'm gonna. Well, I'll, I'm gonna look it up real quick. I don't. I've never done this before. Okay. Oh boy. I I was close. It's. I don't know how to freaking pronounce this. Go ahead, give it a shot. Our Dutch friends will correct us. Svart Piet. <laughs> oh, God. Svart Piet. That does not which, sound which, good. Which translates to English as Black Pete or Black Peter. So I got that right. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. So the Svart Piet character is part of an, the annual festival of St. Nicholas celebrated on the evening of 5th of December in the Netherlands, Aruba and Curaçao, blah, 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 blah. Uh, <laughs> hold on like a second. compelling storytelling you got here. <laughs> I, well, I'm trying to... I, it's, it's hard to, like... He's trying We're to trying skip to, like, to the good find... part. The nugget about the beating of the children. I think this should be a special segment that we do. About Black Pete? Toby's racist Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Is Uncle Ben Let's involved say. in this somehow? <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Butterworth is all over it. <laughs> the introduction of Svart Pete did coincide, by and large, with a change in the attitude of the already existing Sinterklaas, as brought to us by Kevin Flynn, who had been quite severe towards bad children himself and had, in fact, often presented as a boogeyman when he was still a solitary character. Moreover, some of the same terrifying characteristics were later associated with his servant, Svart Piet, were often attributed to St. Nicholas himself. Wow. So in the original story, Santa Claus had a sidekick named Black Pete (laughs) who would break into people's house and beat the children. (laughs) Wow, uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to find I, some backup on this beating the children stuff, but yeah. I think that's right. But Santa is apparently too controversial for the British. It is. So, Laura Bricker, here's my question for you in this crime of the week: What is the next great American thing to be banned by the British? I'm going to say it's the Elf on the Shelf. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's going to be the Elf on the Shelf because that thing. I mean, it has taken on a life of its own, and it is clearly an American tradition at this point. So. It is not a tradition. It is a fake ass thing that people made up and sold in a store. That's what I'm saying. As a tradition, it's 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 it's, it's ridiculous. It's so, BS. Um, the elf on a shelf. No offense, listeners who love the elf on a shelf, but your tradition is BS. We've we've lived the elf on the shelf here. You guys all escaped it because your kids are older, but we have lived it, and it's it's coming. Usually this weekend is the time the elf on the shelf has to come out. So, um, 
I say we ban it. I used to have Santa Cam from like February through uh, July. I like hang like a box on the wall with tinfoil on it. Be like, that's Santa Cam. Don't be a dick. Santa's watching. <laughs> and they believed it. Which, by the way, is pretty much the same thing as Elf on a Shelf, yeah, right? Is. Toby, what is the next great American thing the British will ban? I think it's probably um, Bud Light Lime. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yuck. That is nasty. One can hope. Well, I'm going to say that uh, the British should definitely be on the lookout in their passport control for John David Booter, because <laughs> uh, he is a fine American, and I could see that his investigation into the case of Clara Pockets at the Piggly Wiggly may offend some of the sensibilities of the Brits. So, John David Booter, I think you are next on the British hit list. Kevin, what about you? Uh, I think that they will ban the Electoral College. <laughs> that and ugly Christmas sweaters. Mm, yes. W- which they just call sweaters. They do. They do. Well, we should probably end it on that note. Laura Bricker, if people want to write to you and, I don't know, um, berate you for your hatred of Elf on the Shelf, how can they reach you on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> it's at Laura Bricker, and uh, next week we will have Cat of the Week returning. <gasps> the return of Cat of the Week. Toby Ball, if listeners want to write to you and, uh, I don't know, school you and what you got wrong about the hallowed Christmas tradition of Black Pete, how can they find you on Twitter? You can find me at Toby Ball NH. I would love to hear any uh, any explanations of the Black Pete phenomenon. <laughs> and, Kevin, oh, and Kevin Flynn, if our listeners want to uh, find you and give you crap about the fact that you actually enjoy a good Bud Light Lime now and then, how can they find you on Twitter? I just want to say I'm with the ACLU on this Black Pete thing. <laughs> I am totally woke. I am not down for that shit. And I am at Kevin P. Flynn. But you do like yourself a good Bud Lime. God damn, I do. It's still America. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram at Reb Lavoie. You can also check out my other podcast, HGTV and Me. This week's episode is all about house hunters and those stupid people that can't get over the color of the paint when they look at houses. You can tweet to this show at Crime Writers On, and you can join the fine folks in the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group, or leave a comment or engage on our regular Facebook page. Go to our website, crimewriterson.com, to sign up for our newsletter. And if you love this show or any of our other podcasts, tell us a friend. We don't have a PR firm. Really, we rely on you to tell a friend. Line production for Partners in Crime Media is done by the very handsome Henry Lavoie. Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the Podcast Hall of Justice, formerly known as Square X Studio, before that known as Studio C, and before that known as a closet in our basement where I would so definitely stick an elf on the shelf upside down among a bunch of trash I was about to throw away. (laughs) On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Chickity China, the Chinese chicken. You have a drumstick and your brain stops ticking. Watch the next files with the lights on. We're done with May song. I hope the smoking man's in this one. Like Harrison Ford, I'm getting frantic. Have you learned any any music since 1997? (laughs) All right. I'm coming out, so you better get this party started. You any like Spice Girls for me next? No, I'll Greendale all over you.
Darkness in Prime Media. Media.